What's going on and welcome back to The Rule of Three, Windy City Gridiron's newest podcast featuring myself, Robert Schmitz, Brandon Robinson, and today tagging in for Danny Meehan is none other than formerly Brad OTC, now PFF Brad Spielberger, who's here as one of the best cap analysts and team builders that I know because while we're normally a film X's and O's show, Oh my goodness, the film is so bad from this last week that it just starts to breed more questions than, I mean, do you really want to hear us break down Rashad Coward's technique? Because at some point, you know it's not very good, and we could tell you it's not very good, and it doesn't take extraneous information or expertise to figure that out. And I think Brad's able to offer a perspective that I can't wait to hear, where we can pick apart what Matt Nagy's doing wrong, and... And what's just wrong on the roster from a GM's perspective and should be better than where it's at? And I can't wait to dive into it. Guys, how you doing on this afternoon? Would be doing a lot better with the win, but not too bad today. <laughs> yeah, no, happy to be on. I'm sorry for uh, breaking up the fun of talking about film and the actual game and instead talking about boring things like numbers and whatnot. But uh, I think this is the proper flow of information, right? I... I would turn to you guys like you and say, clearly something was going wrong yesterday What or, or Sunday. What was it? Uh, so I can go figure out how to, how to fix it as a, as a, you know, a team builder. So that's, it, that's kind of the way it should be. And hopefully something happens because, uh, as you mentioned, it's, uh, it's getting tough to watch, watch this interior offensive line. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, what gets frustrating to me is that I don't know what an average roster looks like because I look at the Giants and then I look at the Cardinals and the Cardinals, based on the last thing that I saw in terms of DVOA and scoring, are like around average level. And if that's what an average offense looks like, that is so much higher powered and has such a higher caliber set of players on it than the Bears do that if that's average we're nowhere close and suddenly i know i started tumbling around that i want to properly criticize matt Nagy because i know i've been really high on him in the past and i'll pick apart play calls i'll reference with bobby peters and a lot of times i get back answers like actually that play call isn't as bad as it looks and at some point i start asking Am I still allowed to be mad at Cordero Patterson for messing up an assignment? Or should I just be frustrated that we don't have a standard second running back on the roster that can t- like ma- take carries and see the hole? Or a standard third receiver that's reliable instead of Anthony Miller, who, much as I like the guy's talent, apparently isn't trustworthy enough to be the backdoor like option on various slant routes that Patterson isn't doing well on either at some point it starts to point back to roster and that's exactly why I want to have this conversation because I I want to make sure criticism's fair and Matt Nagy's getting the crap kicked out of him in like the public face and I know every time I've had a conversation with you Brad who I think it's fair to open up with I always hear a different perspective on Mr. Ryan Pace than I get from a whole lot of other people it's He's not exactly the GM he looks like, is he? I think the confusion for a lot of people with Pace is twofold. It's first just that you have to look at moves and their, you know, their success or fit or lack of success based on the value, not just in an, in an overall sense. So, like, 
I think he has built one of the NFL's best defenses, no question, and they've been one of the top seven defenses the last three years in a row, easily number one in 2018, look like they're going to be a, like a, a, a very good again this year. But that's what you get when you spend that much money and that much draft capital on one side of the ball. Like that's what that's that's I'm not going to say it's expectation, but like that's not that far off from expectation. And then you completely neglect the offensive side of the ball for the third year in a row. And you have a 27th or 30th ranked offense for the third year in a row. And yeah, you're going to win some games against bad teams. You're going to they're they're going to make the playoffs. And, you know, with seven seeds now, it's almost hard not to given their schedule and all that. But it's like you can't just look at things in a vacuum and can't just look at things as like so simple without looking at the minutia. Um, yeah. And so then you mentioned kind of like an average offense, like a, like a giants or a Cardinals, like those, those teams have young players and cheap players and they, and they're still like, they're trending upwards. They, they hopefully will get better. The giants definitely have room to grow. Like you shouldn't, the bears offense in theory should get worse next year. Like they don't have Allen Robinson under contract He's now in concussion protocol. Good luck against the Saints without him. Ugh. Like, Foles' contract is going to go up, and who knows if he even want to keep that. And then, like, the offensive line is just a, is five question marks. So, like, it's not trending up. It's trending down, and it's already terrible. And it's rough, too, because I take a look around the league at the way other teams deal with injuries, and sure, I could point the finger at, say, the Lions, though they're not exactly the most high-caliber offense either. They added Adrian Peterson and immediately neglected both DeAndre Swift and Carrion Johnson, so not exactly the model of team building there. But you take a look at a team like the Buccaneers, they were missing Chris Godwin. They've still got Mike Evans, Scotty Miller, Rob Gronkowski, and plenty of other options that can make that offense go. Depth is what wild and one thing that you've taught me is that every single choice on the roster is a choice you Rashad Coward isn't there by default past a certain point you're saying I would prefer Rashad Coward and Sam Mustafer over a Ted Larson type over a veteran minimum guard that can deliver you a it like a replacement level at offensive line is always weird because there's not enough offensive linemen that are truly good in the NFL. But ba- but you are selecting Rashad Coward to take one of those spots, and that's when he gets in the game. Certainly, it gets frustrating because Aaron Donald's just destroying him, and there's nothing you can do. Like the the Bears and Nagy seemed to try to scheme around it, but outside of their obsession with heavy personnel, out with Demetrius Harris, who they picked up this offseason for veteran minimum which should tell you what the league thinks about him. Jimmy Graham, who costs, what, 60% of Robert Quinn, and that's a lot of money. And Cole Kmet, second rounder, sure, jury's out on him. Well, apparently, as we keep using these heavy sets, we think they're some of the best personnel we have. And that seems bananas to me, because that's where it starts to drift into coaching. This heavy personnel stuff isn't working. And I know, Brandon, there's nobody who's been louder about that than you. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, starting off with Coward, it's like we've been talking about how he doesn't like he's not a rosterable NFL caliber player. And same thing with Sam Mustafer, but he's on an NFL roster. Like they're both on NFL rosters on the same roster. Like I don't know why that is the case. Like you could be bringing in anybody off of the street, but instead they're bringing back the same guys that they previously had. And it it just if anything, it comes off as like almost lazy just because it, it makes like that little of sense that you're bringing in like the, this low level talent. And then you, you look at you look at the play calls and it's easy to knock Matt Nagy's play calling, but it's almost 
what I lean towards is more of the offensive philosophy because he's like he's choosing to stay with the heavy personnel. And it's almost as if they're they're being really, really conservative because they just they have no confidence in anything they have on offense, which is I mean, it's it's really disturbing because that's like not Matt Nagy at all. Like he obviously does not want to be running this stuff, but he's still running it. So I mean, I I just I wish he would just lean away from the heavier personnel. Because Cole Komet, I mean, as much as Bears fans love him because he's a draft pick, he's he's not creating any mismatches on the field. Like, he's not a dynamic blocker. He's definitely not a dynamic receiver because he's not a dynamic athlete. And either, either is Demetrius Harris. So you need less of the bigger guys on the field and more of the smaller guys because that's when you spread things out and you create angles in the run game instead of just trying to run and trusting these low-level offensive linemen to move guys. When you space it out, you then you create matchups to where your running backs can create angles instead of your offensive line creating angles with their size and power. And, you know, it's funny because you talk about, uh, like, t- dynamic athletes and talent, and suddenly that brings us back to somebody who I'm sure if there are – or if there's anybody who's looking to defend pace at this moment, they'd probably bring up Darnell Mooney. That's a great ad for the offense. But he is, frankly, an argument both for and against Pace. It's a good pick, but he comes out of the fifth round. And that kind of reminds you how little investment this offense has gotten out of both late rounders in terms of running backs and receivers over the last couple of years and the picks that we're trading away for the Trubisky pick, the Anthony Miller pick, and plenty of others where if you can get a Darnell Mooney out of the fifth round and then the Bears aren't using him partially due to these heavy sets that take him off the field especially when they put Javon Wims out there with 13 personnel which is its own thing but you you start to wonder where the bodies are because I know it, it it stunned me Brad to see that in five years Pace has picked six offensive linemen six there's five positions that's almost half of the offensive line and in five years we're either adding through free agency which i mean you get what you pay for i i know a lot of people can't stand free agency but the way you're trying to find value is the draft and cody whitehair and james daniels have both i mean i'm curious to hear what you'd say i'd say they're hits neither of them are monstrous hits and so here the bears are they lose one of them let alone both but even with just james daniels and now you've got a massive hole at a position that it does feel like there are other teams across the NFL that are able to fill a little better than the Bears do. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that, uh, how you come into an offseason, right, and you've already actually gotten a good picture of who Rashad Coward is following you know the injuries last year, and the picture was ugly. Uh, and then your, your, your next two interior guys are Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer, who are both undrafted free agents from the team, Notre Dame, so you probably only added them because they knew Harry Highstand, who you then fired and blamed for the running game woes. So, like, what are you what are you doing? So, so yeah, and then, of course, in the draft, they take two guys in the seventh round where, like, I mean, yeah, you got Charles Leno there that I actually do advocate. You can take some chance – you should take some chances on, like, freaky athlete but maybe very raw offensive lineman late in the draft, sure. But you're not expecting that to help you, any, you know, in the first two or, or like, three years. So – yeah, you're just neglecting one of the more important aspects of football. 
I will say though, you mentioned you know the other part of the you know two parts that we just talked about. I I am am really getting concerned with Nagy because I in ways that I'm kind of breaking coaching into more and more subcategories, probably to to try to not let myself fully condemn Nagy, to be honest. But another thing with him, with with we talk about the play calls with Cordero Patterson, and so first of all, yes, like I still blame Pace. Like you have Lamar Miller is like hopefully going to come back and, and maybe play soon. But again, like why is your best option like Artavis Pierce, an undrafted free agent? And Lamar Miller, like a 30-year-old off an ACL injury, like why is that? Why is that you're you're stable? But anyways, even at the least important position, like do, do, you can probably do better than that. Um, anyways, he calls so many plays that I'm not going to say it's not having an identity or not having the bread and butter. I think it actually goes more to. You used to hear the quotes about Vince Lombardi where he'd say the opposing defense knew exactly what I was going to do, and it did not matter because my players executed better than theirs did. And in stuff like a run game, which we, we keep talking about every year, like like B-Rob can talk more to this for sure, and you, you too, Rob, but like that just comes down to execution so often. And so I think they're running out of eye formation. They're running out of 13 personnel. They're running at a shotgun. They're running out of under center. They're doing – they're running inside zone, outside zone. Power, like they're doing everything, which means they're doing nothing consistently, and they're not getting reps – the 49ers have way more offensive line injuries than the Bears do, and they're still running the ball down everyone's throat every single week. Same with the Patriots. They have more injuries. They had their right tackle opt out. They've had a bunch of injuries. They're still running the ball down everyone's throats. It's about execution sometimes. So, yes, the players are bad, but I also think Nagy, for me, I'm losing confidence, honestly, by the week. Oh, honestly, I can't agree more. I said this with Lester Wiltfong on my post-game podcast. This was the nightmare game because anything anybody's ever critiqued about Nagy seemed to come to life for 60 minutes in a game that should have been over after 40. I mean, it, there, that last 20 minutes was just salt in the wound with failed fourth down conversions and more timeout misusage and just, oh man, it was insult to injury at that point. And like you're saying, you could, or I don't want to sound like I'm defending the play calling more than I'm trying to because most of my criticism is becoming that this Bears offense doesn't seem to be able to execute anything. For crying out loud, we're four, four weeks into Foles leading the offense and Darnell Mooney, one of the most studious rookies I've seen gets caught out of position and needs a timeout to fix it. And Brandon pointed this out. He goes, of all the people on the offense, I trust Darnell Mooney to know where he's going. So the fact that he's out of position means something's getting miscommunicated. And at some point, because I know I've started doing this, I've just stopped blaming Foles for anything because I know who he is. I'm well aware of who Nick Foles is. And thank goodness he came to Chicago and he's delivering exactly what we thought he would. So you can almost take him out of the picture and critique everything around the quarterback spot, head coach included, because you know what you're getting from under center. And right now, this whole offense looks totally confused. Bears fans, if you want something shocking, go back and watch a 2018 game. It's a different offense. It's a different, it's a different coach. It's got different swagger. Brandon and I were just watching the uh, 2018 Week 2 Seahawks game, and the creativity that Matt Nagy was pulling out with various jet sweeps and go back to her outside zone, ram it down their throats, kick it to a wide receiver on a bubble screen, whatever it is that we're running right now, it legitimately feels, and I, I don't want to speculate too much, Almost like the coaching and offensive staff are scared 
that their offensive players can't execute. And if they're scared, it looks like it's bleeding into the personnel because they are just... When Demetrius Harris, who has been in the league for years, is missing slice block assignments and can't remember where he's going and let alone the drop passes, like I'm not even talking about that. People just don't know what they're doing. And at some point that comes down to the coaching staff. And after you just fired your offensive coordinator and line coach and it's happening again, it starts to (laughs) red flags are popping up by the week. Yeah, for me, when you look at the receivers, it seems like the receivers are the guys that are consistently missing assignments. And so, I mean, you look at the assistant coach, but like at the end of the day, that still falls on Matt Nagy. Like he like he's the one responsible for him. He like the receivers coach are responsible for the receivers, but he's responsible for the receiver coach doing his job. And when they consistently miss miss their assignments that's a problem like the pit the pitch to patterson like everybody thought it was a like a terrible play i i love that play call because you're getting Patterson. what you want on that pitch is you, you're going to end up with patterson on a db i'll take patterson on a db all day long but when you can't execute you bring you bring whims in just a block and he can't execute that block like that that's a problem like darnell mooney has been executing blocks and you take him out of the game and you put in whims because you somehow think he's going to make the block because he's a bigger guy. He's been missing blocks the entire season. Like this comes down to like evaluation of your own players and what you, what you think that you can execute with those players. Same thing with Patterson. When they went empty on second, second and 12 and they threw the ball to him. And for some reason he thought he was just going to sit on, sit in the hole on a slant, even though the middle of the field defender was running away from him so he should be running towards this base like that that's that's just a problem because i'm patterson has been this guy all along like he's been making these same mistakes his whole entire career like that's just who he is so it gets exhausting certainly because i know I know that when we were watching Trubisky in this Nagy offense, the thought was was that if you add a cerebral quarterback that can manage this, that maybe Nagy would simplify things, cut the fat, and who knows, maybe he's using all these formations and personnel, and what is it that we had at one point, like 128 unique variations of personnel? Like, it's this has been a thing since Nagy's been in town, and here we are, it's the same thing with Nick Foles, and we... A lot of people, me included, expected this to change because he seemed to have solid or an, a solid offensive head on his shoulders in 2018. I don't know why this is spiraling the way it is. All I know is that it is. And I've never seen an offense, whether it's Pace or Nagy, that we lose a couple players. Like, we lose our technically RB2, even though he's more of a weapon in Tariq Cohen. We lose James Daniels, and I go, well, that's it. The offense is over, let alone Cody Whitehair and now Allen Robinson, who, now that they're out, I'm like, should we just not show up? Like, take a bye week, let guys get healthy, like, implement more stuff? Because we're, I mean, gracious alive, can this team really beat the Saints? It's 
it's all over the place. And like you said, Brad, I keep segmenting things. I keep saying, well, maybe this is going well, but this isn't going well. And I have no idea, but I'll take a page out of uh, out of actually Matt Nagy's playbook. At some point, I almost wonder if he should do what they did to Kevin White his first year, in the, or Nagy's first year. Sit him down in his own film room and have him watch his old stuff. Because whatever Matt Nagy is today is a less confident, less positive, less swagger-filled shell of whatever he was in his first year in the league. And who knows? Maybe maybe the stars just faded. Maybe it was just all sizzle, no steak. This, these are possible things. But if he's gonna if he's gonna get his legs back under him, he better do it quick because this five and two team is on the precipice of disaster. Brad, what are you seeing? Yeah, no. So I think we've had a bunch of conversations, as, as we've alluded to, you know, about how, how you analyze a coach. And I think an important thing that like B-Rob touched on is that like it's so hard to isolate wh- who is responsible for each thing. So you have to try to like really look for and kind of dig for for certain things. And like guys being lining up in the wrong place and calling timeouts bef- just to avoid delay of games. Obviously, we get the Foles quote, which. I'm going to say both quotes because there was a second quote that actually kind of exp- – I think it was a decent justification for the first quote. But basically first we heard that he he alluded to the fact that Nagy's sending in play calls that he knows as he's hearing it like there's no way I'm going to get this playoff. What Greasy apparently went on to say, which like no one talked about, was that he meant – he didn't mean he couldn't get the playoff, a.k.a. I can't, I can't say all the, the jargon, get everyone lined up and snap it. He meant I can't get the playoff, which just could be worse, in that – I'm going to hike it. Everyone is running a, a deep route, and I know that there's none of them are going to get open before I have two guys in my lap. That's which, again, I don't know if that's better or worse. I guess you, you know, you can take that. <laughs> but that was the second justification. Said, so, okay, maybe it's not as bad as like Nagy literally doesn't understand like what the play clock is, but still, it's a, it's a problem. But I mean, it does though. I think everything consistently is always going to come back to pace. I mean, even hiring Nagy is is pace. So like you, oh, that that's what you get when you're the GM. When you're and he's more than a GM. Let's be clear about that. Like teams are different in, in their construction of their building, and, and every team in the in the league, he's a very very powerful executive in, in the National Football League. Um, so again, like we we're, we're talking about, we haven't even mentioned. Listen, we're talking about how you how do you come into a game not having a spot filled on your roster. And we have not even talked about the fact that they came into an NFL game, a big game at 5-1, and one, knowing they literally did not have a punt returner on the roster. Ugh. Like, I know it's a small position, and I know it's like if those balls bounce through the end zone instead of landing at the 7, I probably am not even talking about it. I get that. I- I'm Mr. Process over results. I get that. But you come into an NFL game, here's the process. And you literally know the guy that we're putting back there does not want to do this. H- how does that happen? I don't, I don't have any idea. And we'll have to address it more after the break because I know the sponsors need to get their word in. So we'll step aside for just a second and we'll return and we'll get right back into it. And we are back with the Rule of Three podcast with me, Robert Schmitz, joined by Brandon Robinson, as always, and Brad Spielberger filling in for Danny Meehan. And you know what's really wild, Brad, about talking about roster construction in terms of Ted Ginn, who stood back there and caught a fat no punts, zero punts. Every single one of them hit the ground. And it was funny watching it on film because you can see his body language, especially on the last one, where he's like, I I probably could have caught that. I may have just gotten cut. 
And like, it's, it was tough watching it because you don't know why he's on the roster. And then you look, I I even want to get bigger picture, right? So in the age of offense, we are a defensive team. And in, in one sense, maybe you could say that Ryan Pace is trying to zag while everybody else zigs. But I think what's become most frustrating, so if something happens one or two weeks, it might just be a flash. But after seven weeks, it's a trend. And I understand that there's this attitude, especially on Twitter and other reactionary places, of the refs are out to get the Bears. And I just want to point out, they're out to get defensive teams. It's not just the Bears. They just, like, holding isn't getting called like it used to, and defensive pass interference is the only foul that exists. Defensive holding isn't a thing anymore. And even though we're getting more and more and more ticky-tack calls, like the hands to the face that happened on a Hicks rush, that ultimately they got the first down anyways. I don't know why we complained so much about that one. That felt more like just scratching over a scar. It is getting a little ridiculous, Brad, and and Brandon watching a team that is trying to do its best work on defense it i mean the direction of the nfl almost might as well say like underneath the shield we're an offensive league please play like it because as cool as it is to have good defense especially against a team like the panthers that didn't have the weapons to take advantage of it sean mcveigh's rams come in they run a bunch of schemes that catch the bears defense napping i'm not about to pretend it was a great defensive game but also they felt like they got their 21 points and said we're about done like we can kick another field goal because this bears offense isn't getting anywhere and sure like the bears scored a defensive touchdown and they got a max strip sack but maybe i'm reading the tea leaves wrong i felt like almost none of it mattered because the game might as well have been over and the rams seemed to know it and the bears seemed to know it and that just made it worse brandon did you see that on the defensive end a hundred percent i mean it seemed like one of those high school games where like the one team's up 35 to zero. So they're just planning on running at every single play. Like the the Rams had, they were in no hurry to pass the ball at all. They were just, because they knew the bears had no chance to score. Like at the, at the very end of the half, they're running, they have what, what two timeouts and they're still running the ball. Like, and they just, just didn't care. And then, you saw Matt Nagy not calling a timeout as the time's going out. And then him saying, <laughs> he actually said, well, we didn't catch a ball all day. Like, that's not an excuse. Like, you, then you need to trot someone out there to catch the ball. Like, I was seriously sitting here questioning whether Ted Ginn was shaving points because it literally just did not make sense why he would not catch the ball. Like, there was no chance for a couple of those to go into the end zone. Like, like the Rams, ha- the Rams have the bet the best punter in NFL history to s- statistically by net yardage. Like he's not kicking the ball into the end zone, so you need to catch the ball, and they just wouldn't. It's getting ridiculous, and the biggest reason that I bring up this defensive orientation is primarily because I kind of think that speaks to roster construction. Again, none of this is to, like, absolve a coach. I don't want this to look like some kind of a slider. Like, is it more Nagy's fault and that absolves Pace, or is it more Pace's fault and that absolves Nagy? These things can coexist, and it certainly gets a—I mean— Brad, I, I doubt you know this numbers off the top of your head, but it feels as if the Bears are spending so much on their defense, so much more than 
tons of other defenses in the league that it's almost as if they're banking on quality performance and especially to hear our coach like you're talking about Brandon basically start to say as much in interviews like yeah I mean my plays would be cool if we had an offense that worked like that's great and all like in theory maybe he's quote-unquote correct but the only other coach that's saying that is Adam Gase and uh there's a reason Adam Gase is the only one who's basically blaming his team and his roster construction and it's it's not a good look I I don't know where to go from here like the best thing you can say about this game is that they play again on Sunday but they play a good Saints team that is remarkably well coached in Sean Payton with a quarterback in Drew Brees that we are now seven weeks into one of the worst seasons where he looks almost completely cooked and he's still winning tons of games partially like without Michael Thomas I mean, they are doing everything that you would hope the Bears would do in terms of just working with what they got. And of course, that doesn't mean that the offense should be top 10. I would never say that. But they're, you're starting to feel this lifelessness, this lack of identity, this like, I'm doing this because somebody told me to do it. Like, we're just going to, somebody said I need to run with Cole Komet, so we're running heavy sets. I don't know, man. It's just getting insane. What are you seeing, Brad? Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad I, I wanted to hear B-Rob, the, the former safety, go first to talk about, really quick, I'll just jump on the, kind of the offensive evolution question. You know, he obviously, I always say, but I, I didn't never knew, but I mean, it's it's apparent with body language and whatnot. Like, yes, when you are when you know as a player, if we go down two scores, this game's probably over. Like, how do you, and then and the team, and the defense still gets bashed post-game. They're they're seventh in yards per play allowed. They're seventh in points allowed. They have the number one red zone defense in the NFL. They play 40 minutes a game where they start every drive in mid, at midfield. And like I said, they know, okay, if we go down two scores, the game's already over. Well, I mean, I, I guess I'm saying that, and they've made some nice comebacks this year. But, like, you know, and, and it, <laughs> but you know you know what I mean, though. Like, those, were, those weren't happening. That's the feel. And, like, and anyways, but so, but so, yeah, I mean, the thing is, you mentioned what just is, is true. You have to it, – it may not be fair, and us as Bears fans that love defense must be like, well, you know what? It's not fair that the league is catering to offensive play. It doesn't matter. You're basically sitting there as a GM. Let's say you're in the NBA, and it's like you see the revolution where they're hand-checking and everyone can get to the corner and shoot threes. And you're basically saying as the Bears, I'm going to keep drafting bigs. I'm going to draft seven foot two centers that cannot shoot the basketball – just because Shaq used to be good, and I loved watching Shaq play, and I don't care that everyone else is more efficient and better doing something else, I'm just going to bury my head in the sand and stick to the same ideology I've had because I'm riding on the coattails of 1985 40 years later. Like, that's that's all it is. So it's insane. And then you go to the Saints. I mean, well, actually, real quick, I pulled it up for you. The Bears are the second highest spenders on defense in the NFL, which is not surprising in any way, shape, or form. Um and that, honestly, we have to consider that's with money being kicked down the road on Quinn, on Mac, on um, every, on everyone. Scrine's money is pushing the future. Trevathan's money is pushing the future. It's all pushing the future. So second highest in defensive spending, that number is going to stay that high for the next couple of years. And they may, maybe win one playoff game to show for it. So you then get to the Saints. The Saints came into Chicago last year without Drew Brees. They had te- I mean, Teddy's great. But without Drew Brees, they were missing, I want to say, Ryan Ramchick was not starting a pretty confident, a stud right tackle. They were missing Kamara. I love to say running backs don't matter. Very good player. They were, they were missing a bunch of starters. They beat the, the living baloney out of the, the Bears. And 
I don't want to swear. I'm not going to swear on Robert's show. If it was somebody else's show, I would drop, <laughs> I would drop like 10 F-bombs, but not if I get Robert. So, so, like, do I think the Bears, especially if Allen Robinson has a concussion, is not playing, if Cody Whitehair misses this game against the Saints defense that has struggled this year but dominates against the run, the best run defense the last two seasons, I mean, this game could be a blowout. Even worse, like, I, I'll just take a page out of Brandon's book if I see the Bears line up in a jumbo set with three tight ends on a wing against one of the best run defenses in football with Javon Wims out there trying to make a slice block along with the rest of them and Sam Mustafer leading the point of attack along with Bobby Massey and Jermaine Afedi who I swear every week his pad level gets higher and higher and higher like it's I'm gonna lose it because the best thing that I could have said about Matt Nagy and the Bears against Tampa Bay is that they basically realized that there was no shot at running the ball, so they just didn't try. And they ground out 20 points through the air with a very mediocre passing attack that ultimately outperformed Green Bay's effort, and you you do have to give some kind of credit to that. But goodness gracious, like you're talking about, Brad, you, you talked about how Teddy Bridgewater is pretty good and that that somehow means that the loss of Drew Brees shouldn't be be as big a deal there's something to be said for both the roster construction and the coaching ability that losing your hall of fame entrenched starter was just not that big a problem because whether whether you could say it with Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky I get it our situation's kind of weird we are the standard like if you got two quarterbacks you don't have any quarterbacks and they're right but uh if if the Bears really want to trot out an offensive game plan that is such a far cry from anything we did in 2018 like I don't know what Matt Nagy is doing running this stuff. This has never been who he is throughout throughout his career. Like, I don't know who's in his ear that in 2020, he's running the I formation after actively making fun of the idea of running the I formation throughout the 2019 season. How did we get here? Like, I, I really don't know the answer because it almost seems like he's a changed man. And if, he's, if he is a changed man, you have to wonder, A, why, and B, is that a good thing? Because it doesn't look like an offensive good thing right now. It just looks soulless. And a soulless coach is going to get soulless results. And that's what this looked like on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, like it's not him. I, I, I think that, again, we could probably go back to, to the GM in the first place. Like I don't think he has the personnel to, to be him, to be you. I don't, I don't think he has the guys that it takes to do that. And I, of course, I'm always going to be a person who stresses like, as we just said, you need to coach up everyone on your roster. You need to be able to do what you do with all the guys you have and stuff like that. The Saints, again, massive caveat, they spend more. They spend even more than the Bears. But again, like I just talked about expectations. If you're going to spend in the Saints level, which the Bears have done the last couple of years and, and still are, then you should be winning 13 games a year. Like that's, that's what you're spending for. That's why I get annoyed when people are so happy. And talk about oh you went twelve and four and eight and eight. It's like who cares? Like they spent that much money. You should be you should be considered a contender. Not everyone calling you a paper tiger the entire time. And they're right. Like that's that's what you get when you spend that much money. So the Saints like, but but I but anyways all of that rant. That being said, I actually do think a lot of that is coaching. I mean I've heard Sean Payton talk about how his favorite games to coach are the games when he's missing his best offensive players. That's a confident, cocky mf'er who is like, I'm going to show you how good I am at this 
that even down a Hall of Fame quarterback, I'm going to put up 36 points on the road in Chicago against the last year's best defense in the NFL. Like, that's, that's Sean Payton just being, I'm better than you, I execute better than you, I get the most out of my guys. Yes, they spent, they give him every guy he wants. That Yes, that is true. But 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 it's not really much different for Nagy. I mean, he got he got Foles. He hired an entirely new coaching staff. Uh, who again? I mean, the reason we're hearing questions about the play calling changing hands that's what that's what happens when you hire two former play callers in one offseason. Uh, who knows what they're doing? I don't know what Mark Helfrich did. I don't know what Laser does. I don't know what DiFilippo does. But whatever it is, I don't know what what Barone does. I don't know what what Castillo does. But it's not working. I know that. And you know what really exhausts me before I kick it over to Brandon is that there are plenty of people that could look at the Saints and they could say, well, they've got Alan Gamera. What did you expect? They've got Michael Thomas. What did you expect? And it's like, I've been watching this Saints offense for like eight years. They used to run it through Jimmy Graham. Then they didn't. So then they went from a tight end centric approach to a wide receiver centric approach. Drew Brees made Marcus Colston a household name. Colston was never like incredible. I mean, he was a warrior in the same way that what Chicago's Desmond Clark was for years there because he was there and he did his job but to say that Marcus Colston's a Hall of Fame receiver pretty much only the high, the highest of high fans in New Orleans would get to that level. Fast forward and you, you look at the Bears roster and I'll say it if you guys won't, it's not the most talented roster in the world but it does have Allen Robinson who it's not Michael Thomas but he's good it does have Tariq Cohen who's not Alvin Kamara but he's way better better than people give him credit for being and sure we didn't get to see Nick Foles with uh, Tariq Cohen but based on what they're doing now I I don't know if they would have changed I mean you can't see what you can't see and all we are getting to see is what the Bears offense are doing without Cohen and like we've mentioned it just it doesn't seem like they know what they want to do because if this is what they want to do they're really really terrible at it and the execution problem, whether it's whether it's offensive soul and identity or play calling or coaching or whatever it is, you just see so many more missed blocks in, out of Navy and Orange and people in the wrong place and guys who don't know where they're going. And I know there's one play, uh, Brad, you may remember it is the play where Foles got sacked on like third and 11 about halfway through the second quarter. Uh, and I, Brandon and I were watching this. Leonard Floyd bless his heart, rips straight around Massey and sacks Foles, and Foles doesn't have a shot. Like, he's staring at Anthony Miller waiting for that, or the Anthony Miller and Cole Kmet combo that are down the field to resolve, and it never does because it takes a total of 2.2 seconds, and that's too long for the Chicago offensive line. And sure, you could say you can't call plays with that kind of offensive line. You're probably right. But at the same time, I remember a play caller who could look a Mitch Trubisky that had thrown two picks and nothing good in a game in the eyes and say, Bud, I'm going to get this team in the end zone and we're going to do it on the ground. And the Bears can't do jack on the ground right now. And it's just getting heartbreaking. Brandon, what are you seeing? Yeah, I'm seeing the same thing. And I mean, it's not going to change this week. I mean, as we've as we said, the the Saints have a really really good run defense. You can't expect to run it like there like there there should be zero. I mean, not a single play of thirteen personnel because you can expect it to not work. But the one thing that the Saints have a weakness in is they love man coverage and they've been getting exploited by it the entire season. So I mean, if we've been saying this every single week. 
But if they come out in 11 personnel and they create mismatches and they run some bunch and they take advantage of them, then maybe maybe they have a chance because they're going to need to score. I mean, I don't, I don't know if Michael Thomas is actually going to play this week. I know he tweaked his hamstring last week. But they, they have to create those mismatches. But, again, if Allen Robinson doesn't play, that's another playmaker out. And now you're relying on who? Like Darnell Mooney? Like the rookie? Anthony Miller, who you haven't trusted all year? Like these are, these are going to be problems. And it sucks because at this point, I would look at Anthony Miller and I'd be like, uh, yeah, he's not going to do anything. And I remember when he was a hundred yard receiver, like, yeah, I remember when he was one of the most promising talents, maybe not in the NFL, but certainly on the bears where it seemed like the only thing holding him back from greatness was Mitch Trubisky's inability to hit him deep. And so here we are, you could call it an offensive line issue, but you know what? I'll, I'll, point out what brad's kind of saying if you put sean payton in command of a bears offense with very little offensive line but at least he's got david montgomery who isn't much but you can do stuff with him you've got cordero patterson darnell mooney and anthony miller wouldn't surprise me if he'd find a way into the end zone a couple times and i don't really know how he'd do it because at one point and this is something sean mcveigh kind of taught me this week sure I could sit here on the microphone and say, I understand why Matt Nagy made all the choices he did. But Sean McVay will come out with these ideas where I go, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. That's why you're paid the big bucks. Like a a quick snap at the goal line to catch Buster Screen at a position. And sure, made Buster Screen look like a complete bum. And I'm not about to pretend it was some kind of a good play. But it was also good design that freed up a, a quick mismatch. Whereas Matt Nagy's side, if he throws it to Javon Wims and Javon Wims gets hit a yard short, they're waiting until the 18 second mark on the play call to even get lined up. And lo and behold, the ball gets taken away from him because they took too long. It's... It feels like there are guys just going through the motions on this Chicago offense. I can't believe it took 42 minutes on a podcast to get to that point. But really, it, it feels almost like people are treading water. And that's the kind of stuff we're saying about Dallas at this point. And who knows? Maybe it's just a bad game. But y- you almost wonder. Like, you know, you know that friend we all have or have had in our life where... You were always kind of on the fence about them, and then they have that one night where, for some reason, they just pop off and say a bunch of stuff, and you go, that's it, I knew that was in there, I knew that that was in there, and I knew that was who you are. This felt like that game for this football team, and I hate the fact that I almost stare five other wins in the face and say, this one loss means more than all of those, but, ugh, I'm really worried it does. Brad, any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, interesting analogy. I actually, I, I, I kind of follow you there. I did. Um, I, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad B Rob mentioned it, and you actually mentioned it as well already. Uh, on the fourth down call, I, I would trust B Rob's opinion over myself. So he, it's a good, it's a fine play call. You know, again, if, it, if executed properly, Cordell Patterson should be able to beat you know a DB on the outside, push him for a yard, and get a first down. So that's I, I'm okay with that. But here's the thing. Anthony Miller, as we're talking about, he he has a ton of talent. His consistency is clearly his big issue. They don't trust him at all. We haven't even talked about the fact that during the broadcast, Brian Greasy's other nugget was that he was voted most likely to be late to practice. So that, that's great. I um, did not hear that. Oh. Yeah, hear that? Oh, yeah. That's, that happened. Most likely oh, to be late to practice. And yep, first thought happens. was, you got to be kidding me. It's a surprising thing, but so disappointing. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. Like I, I, I almost fired off like 10 tweets, and I was like, all right, I'm not going to be that mean. But – 
Because it was the least surprising thing ever. No offense. No offense. That's just what, it's what we've heard, and it just backs up what rumors we've heard. So anyways, but um, so on a fourth down ball, your, your slot receiver can create, who is the, one of the, like you mentioned, one of the uh, rising stars, creating separation within five yards of the line. I think Anthony Miller is as good as that as like most guys I watch in the NFL. Like uh, he's not going to burn you deep like some guys. He's not going to, but like quick separation on a slant. Like, like he, the guy has, has great footwork. Like that's what he's there for. And so I'm just going to go there now because this is me. You trade up in the second round to get a guy who you in his in his third or fourth whatever fourth third year you do not trust at all. Plays 20 snaps a game. His teammates voted him most likely to be late to practice. Like that's why you why are you trading up in the second round? Like it's just unbelievable. And then you mentioned Montgomery. You spend a third and fourth round pick to get a running back. Hey, guess what? It doesn't matter if you don't have an offensive line. Hey, you know where you find a lot of good interior offensive linemen? The third and fourth round of the NFL draft. Like, it's, <laughs> I know I'm obviously, you know, it's confirmation bias, and those are two perfect <laughs> examples, but it's like, this is the stuff I talk about, and then it, this is how it materializes. I mean, especially when I think that there's a legitimate argument to say, I'll go there. Uh, I know that this would be, I, I won't expect if there are going to be some listeners that are like, you got to be kidding me. He just said this. Like, if you gave me rookie Jordan Howard, I think he's more productive. And he came out of the fifth round because at least what Howard would do is he played outside zone outside. I am getting driven nuts watching David Montgomery cut everything up the inside when sure there's not a ton of like open lanes outside but there's not a ton of open lanes inside either and i'll tell you what if you do go outside at least you take the you you take bigger risk you might get tackled behind the line of scrimmage but the reward is greater because if you do get around the edge a lot of times there's open space out there going up the inside nothing like you may get three yards but it's especially frustrating watching on the other side the rams run outside zone in Daryl Henderson, take the outside. Yeah. I mean, it, I watched 2017 John Fox, Jordan Howard get outside consistently. I remember posting a bunch of stuff on Twitter where I was like, why does, why does Howard run that way, like sideways? Why does he take the hand or the handoff the way he does? Whereas Montgomery, I swear, full sticks the ball out and Montgomery slides over and grabs it at a perpendicular footwork angle because he's already looking to go up the middle. And past a certain point you wonder like sure could Tariq Cohen do it maybe but he's a 5-6 running back that's supposed to be kind of a pass catching specialist and take like four carries a game so he's not gonna be your outside zone running back and I know Brad you've talked about it you want to get a stud running back they're available in the fourth round like you you take what the seventh guy off the board in a position that's constantly loaded in the NFL draft you can get a fourth a fifth a UDFA running back that's very, very good. Why does it feel like the San Francisco sixth running back is better than our starter? Like, there's a point where, whether it's team building or evaluations or whatever it is, you sit there saying, when Montgomery breaks a tackle, it looks awesome. Also, he's had, like, maybe four splash plays in his NFL career in terms of running the ball, and maybe that's just not enough after NF or after this many NFL games when even Jets running backs are at least cracking off the occasional decent run on a terrible team, too. Yeah, I, I just to bring it all full circle now, because, B-Rob, you mentioned Darrell Henderson, and, and obviously I think you, you chuckled because he was taken a little bit before um, Dave Montgomery. Let's also not forget, I'm going to go right back to the well, so the, the running back taken with the 87th overall pick, which was the Bears' original third rounder, 
They traded up with the Patriots to dra draft David Montgomery. The Patriots then took Damian Harris, who's fine and has been just as good as David Montgomery. You know, he's been hurt, but he's now played the last couple games and has been like productive in, in every one of them. And the future fourth-round pick that the Bears gave the Patriots was the 125th overall pick this year. The Patriots traded back with that pick. One of the picks they acquired in trading back was number 182 overall. They drafted Michael Anwenu, the right guard, who is one of the best-graded rookies in the NFL right now at right guard. So it's like all these things, like consistently. You know, I, again, this is once again, like it's it's working out too perfectly for me. Like it's it's just a, a charm. But like this is the type of stuff that I, I analyze every and I look at all these things and it's like David. Uh, uh, final note, and I'll, I'll stop talking about. It. There was a there was a press conference when Montgomery's groin got hurt, where he said, and it made me almost rip my ears off of my head. He said, <laughs> he said we didn't think Montgomery was gonna fall to us, but we're so fortunate that he did. And I said, no, your pick was number 87. <laughs> you took him at 73, which, by the way, was your first pick in that draft class, by the way. He didn't fall to you. What are you – that, that, that's a direct quote. And I'm like – I'm sitting there going, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean – No, I thought, that, I thought that was a great point about the Patriots trading back because when you talk about teams – exactly what you would want you want you want your team trading back taking running back but then building future assets so that you can draft those offensive linemen and what the bears are doing they're doing everything ass backwards like they're not doing that at all and like i, I just don't i don't understand why they're not they're not obtaining those assets so that they can draft offensive linemen like it you look at the saints the team that they're playing this year like, they have the best offensive line in the NFL, and they're drafting an offensive lineman in the first round. And, and I mean, I'll throw in just one more thing. Like, let me almost turn my brain off for a second, right? Because I'll say something that's so simplified that I think we can all probably kind of agree with it. So there's that big joke about Ryan Pace. What if he just traded all of his, or like he traded his first rounder for like 47 fourths because he's so much better in the fourth through eighth, well, or fourth through sixth round? Well, of course, he keeps using those same picks to trade away. Like, for as good as Ryan Pace is in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, we don't have a fourth rounder this year. Like, there are all those picks are gone all the time. And sure, there's the there's the Patriots lottery aspect. I love all the people that say the Patriots don't draft well. And I'm like, are you sure? Because they draft a ton of dudes. Like, a lot of dudes. So you could say the hit rate isn't great, but it doesn't matter. Because everybody starts with the same resources. L like you you end up with more good players over time off of quote unquote a bad hit rate because you, you have more players to try and i i'm definitely right there with you i'm getting tired of seeing the bears have so few picks because when we get darnell mooney to work out it feels like a one in a million when every draft pick of course has the potential it could be a home run it could be a single it could be a bust and you look at like cole Kmet. Great example. Is he a bust? Probably not. Right now, he looks like he's well on pace to be a single. Like, he could slot in in the future for Demetrius Harris, and we wouldn't know the difference. In fact, maybe we'd get a little bit better play. But is he, is he an impact player? Pro no. 
like not right now. And to use or Brandon's like way of phrasing it, he's not a dynamic athlete, so you wouldn't expect him to blossom into one. But hey, you know he could surprise us. I'll always leave the door open. But once you start adding hope to the equation, it changes a little bit from saying they have more picks. You can expect more of these things to work out because the math says it can't happen any other way. And I know that when I look at this roster, whether it's whether it's the coach that's not getting enough out of it or the GM that almost seems to refuse to let enough players invest into it, I it's it feels like things are moving in the wrong direction and that this game was almost the NFL or the football gods if you want to get even more ethereal's way of saying you are doing it wrong. And it sure woke me up. It rattled my mental cage. And I am still not happy about it, but I'd be lying if I, I didn't say it. I would love to to know, Brad, whether you would trade for an offensive lineman um, this coming up week. So uh, to be honest, like if you can get a cheap interior offensive lineman, and by cheap, I honestly don't even so much mean contract, but if you can trade like a sixth or later um, and take on a deal for like a James Carpenter from Atlanta or, or something like that, where you're taking on roughly $2 million for the rest of 2020. And then whatever's left in the remaining deal, you can, or, you know, nothing would be guaranteed. So if you wanted to just do a rental, you could do that, you know, either way. I would. I, I mean, I think the thing is, like, like I talk about a lot, is like there's no point in going like all in, which they did, and then like just like stop. I mean, there is a point. It'd probably be smart if they stopped and just started selling off assets, in our opinion, because I think they're just heading <laughs> for purgatory, but they're not, they're not going to do that. So, no, at this point, you're five and two. You still have a lot of easy games left. You're going to be like the fifth or sixth seed in the NFC. Yeah, I mean, you should. Like, you should try to get one playoff win because probably buy an extension for both guys, which will be a nightmare. And then we'll. We'll keep having podcasts like this every, you know, every couple of years or every year, I guess. <sighs> I, I sure hope and not. Another question. What, what are the chances you think that the Patriots would sell off Cam Newton if someone, if someone came to them and, and offered a draft pick? Honestly, I, 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 pretty high. Like if you, if you were a team that thought, okay, maybe I can get Cam Newton and I can like get, you know, sell him on our franchise and I want to end him after the season, which you know, his last game probably wouldn't inspire many to do, but I, I thought he was off to a fine start. Uh, and again, even if he's not playing well, I, you know, I think the main concern was injuries and he's running the ball a ton. So like he's, he's definitely really pretty healthy. I mean, I think, I think they would be open to it because I think they're going to move Stefan Gilmore this week. I really do believe it's going to happen. Um, I don't have, I can't break wow. any, like I can't break any official things, but like, that's the rumor I've heard most consistently from, from people that I trust. Um, so what are the yeah, reasons I mean, for that? Well, we, okay, so we talk about Bill Belichick. He's he's is the best corner in the NFL, former depoy, but defensive player of the year. But he's a thirty-year-old corner, and they're a, they're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. Genius trade. If they get a second-round pick for for to unload some money on a thirty-year-old cornerback when they're when they have J.C. Jackson, who's already one of the better you know up-and-coming corners in the NFL, that's a slam dunk W, and that's a move that Bill Belichick makes. So I, I think he gets moved for maybe a second and a fifth. Um, Cam, I don't know. I mean, I think it may probably, like you said, it depends more on if a team like has a desire to, to get him in the build. Like, I don't think a contender is going to do it because I, I don't think there's a contender that really needs a quarterback. But in the same way, you know, maybe you take on like a Darnold <laughs> or a Rosen, you take on like, well, yeah, you take on like a Darnold or he's not Cam Newton. We, I mean, maybe he'd do a little bit better, but I, I don't know how much better we could expect him to do. But 
Um, end of the day, if you don't have an offensive line, it, you know, you, and this offensive line literally couldn't run power if they tried. So I, I don't know if that's a, a marriage you, you could make there. But, but yeah, I, I mean, the Patriots, like, that's the thing is we're sitting here like, oh, they're five and two. They should sell. Like, the Patriots are two and four. They basically had a game robbed from them, forfeited against the Chiefs. They almost, they still almost won with Brian Hoyer throwing like ten picks. Um, they then had to get Cam with like two days of practice after fourteen days being quarantined. Obviously played terribly. What do you expect? They had by far the most opt-out players in the NFL. It was not even close. They had like nine guys. The next highest team had like three. Like they had every chip stacked against them. And and what Bill understands, what Bears fans will never understand, is that if you don't think you're a Super Bowl contender, what's the point in winning in in going nine and seven and winning a playoff game? There is a point for for, for bad loser franchises. There's not a point for fans that want to support teams like the Patriots that, that win consistently every year because you you have to sacrifice the mediocre for the great. That's just how this game works. I'd love to argue right, that. Sell, sell your assets at while they're, while they're high, while you can. Yeah. yeah. What about Do you think – not not for the Bears just because it's a bigger contract, but do you think he gets moved? Or Who do you think them? they just get the comp pick? Joe Thune. That's the thing is where it's like no no team in the NFL, in my opinion, is like, all right, we're going to take on an eight and a half million dollar cap hit for a left guard going into like a pandemic, you know, altered offseason. Right. So like, like, yeah, he's a phenomenal player. And I don't think the Patriots are going to keep him. So in their minds, they're probably like, all right, we should. He's probably going to sign if I had to guess maybe a fourth round comp pick contract, maybe third if he's like signs down on the best left guard contract of all time. But um so, yeah, they could say, all right, let's take a fourth for him because obviously a, a regular fourth is better than a comp pick fourth. But, but yeah, like convincing a team, that's the thing, is that cap space right now is being treated more valuable than draft picks and being more valuable than, than talent. Like teams are doing everything they can to clear cap space. That's why Seth Roberts got cut from the Panthers. That's why Eli Apple got cut from the Panthers. Like if teams can save a million dollars, they're doing it. That's why Ted Ginn got uh, – well, never mind. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyways, guys, it has been awesome having y'all on. We are at time, so we got to shut things down. Brad, thanks so much for coming on. Where can folks find you online? Thank you guys for having me on. This is a great chat as always. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Uh, always putting out content. Trade deadline this week is, is going to be hot. Um, so, so definitely going to be a lot of that content this week. And then, We'll turn to 2021 and start looking at the draft and roster construction and all that. So not just the Bears account, you know, no stuff about, you know, across the league. But, yeah, uh, try to answer as many questions as possible. So thanks again for having me on, and uh, hopefully you find me on Twitter. Absolutely, Brad. Always great having you. Brandon, where can folks find your work? I'm at B-Rob NFL, but I'll double down on that and say you should follow Brad because I'll be on his account all week looking for uh, information. Absolutely. I will too. You can find me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz and my YouTube channel, Run Pass Opinion. Bears fans, it is awesome doing this podcast for you. Let us know. Leave a review uh, on what you think the show is doing well, what it's doing poorly, where we can improve. And until next time, folks, have a great rest of your week and hopefully they beat the Saints.